When I think back to the very first few days after my oldest son was born, I think back to just complete and total exhaustion. As a new dad, I was totally and completely naive. I think in my head, what I had expected is that the hardest time would be getting through the the pregnancy, supporting my wife, supporting her through the delivery, and then that would be the end of the storm. But that was actually just the very beginning. And uh, I was a new dad. I didn't, I didn't know any better. And I can remember one of our very first times out of the house without our son, one of our first date nights, we ended up at Chick-fil-A. I often hesitate to mention Chick-fil-A on Sundays because it makes you hungry for it and you can't have it. So I'm sorry for that dynamic here. But we went to Chick-fil-A for dinner and we sat down at a booth. And if you've been to Chick-fil-A, you know, it isn't very long between when you sit down and they bring you your food. But in that very short window, my wife and I both put our heads on the windowsill next to our booth and both almost fell asleep. We were exhausted from the season that we were in, and we were ready to get to a place where we had our energy back and felt like we were ourselves again. That was one of the very first, uh, one of the, not one of the very first, it was one of many times and not the first moments where I was in the middle of a storm and I wondered when the end would come. Another one happened about 25 or 30 years ago when my family was driving across northern Arizona and our car went off the road, rolled over, and uh, we all walked away with bumps and bruises when we shouldn't have made it through. Sitting at a rest stop near a gas station and the wrecking yard where they towed our car, uh, I, I told my mom, I don't want to get back in the car. I'm I'm too scared. I want this to be over. And my mom said, well, we have a vacation ahead of us. We're going to have to figure it out. I wanted out of that feeling. I wanted out of that fear back when we had our first son. I wanted out of that exhaustion. And many times when you're coming to the end of a storm, there's a feeling that you go, man, I just want to get through those exit doors. I want to get out of this season. And for graduates, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In the very last semester of this year, you may have been saying to yourself, get me out of here. Get me out of school. I am done with school. And there's a term for this when it comes to our graduates who've recently been seniors. The term for this is senioritis. Senioritis, this is, a, this is from the dictionary. Senioritis is a supposed affliction. I didn't know sarcasm was allowed in the dictionary, but apparently it is. A supposed affliction of students in their final year of high school or college characterized by a decline in motivation or performance. That's senioritis. And if you've been a senior before, then you know that is not a supposed affliction. It is real. The struggle is real. Well, I think this same definition can, with a couple tweaks, be applied to the final seasons of our storms. See, I wrote a definition this week, and it's a definition for what I call stormitis. And stormitis is an affliction during the final days of a storm marked by a decline in motivation and a spike in restlessness. And that may be where you are right now, that you're struggling to be motivated because you're tired of the storm that you're going through, that you're seeing a spike in your restlessness and your desire to get me out of here. And that's where I think Noah was in the final part of his storm that we're going to study today. 
If this is your first Sunday at Cornerstone, we're so glad that you're here. And today we're concluding a five-week series on the life of Noah called Unsinkable, Navigating Epic Storms. We've been talking about the storm that we're all in called COVID-19, but more than that, the other storms that have happened in our past are happening today and will happen in our future. And we're learning from Noah's experience in an epic storm how we can navigate ours. And all throughout this series, we've put together with the help of some friends some incredible resources to help you navigate your storm. And that, those resources are still at prescottcornerstone.com slash unsinkable. And even though this series is ending today, those resources are going to be there for a long time into the future. And so if you get stuck in a storm again, please go back to that page and walk back through some of the things that we went through in this series. We hope they continue to help you. And if you know somebody who's in a storm today, we'd encourage you to send them that link and encourage them today. As this series draws to a close today, this is the central idea, the big idea that we're going to talk about today. And here it is. God does not promise us constant prosperity. God offers us unsinkable hope in adversity. God does not promise us that our lives are going to be filled with constant, consistent, never-ending prosperity. What God does offer us is an unsinkable hope in our adversity. And today, through this message, we're going to look at four lessons based upon Noah's first steps back on land. We've been in the book of Genesis in this series, chapter 6 through 9. Today, we're going to be in chapter 8 and chapter 9. So if you're new to the Bible, we'd encourage you to open it up or turn it on, however you have a copy of the Bible today. If you don't even have a Bible, you can just open up Google and type in Genesis 8 and read along with us. We're going to be Genesis 8 and 9 today. Here's how we begin. Genesis chapter 8, verse 18. It says, So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his wife's sons with him. They went out of the ark. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and he offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intentions of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. The first lesson that we get from this final part of Noah's story as he comes back to dry ground, to dry land, is this. That what we do when our storm is over shows where our heart was during the storm. What we do in that moment when our storm is over, that actually reveals or shows where our heart was during the storm that just passed. You know, if there was kind of a video of this moment when Noah and his family got out of the ark, I have to believe they would have fallen down and gone, land, land, and they were just kissing the ground, you know. They were just so excited to be out of the ark. That's what I would have done. I would have thrown a party. I don't know. I would have gone for a run. You know, I maybe would have taken a shower because I hadn't had a shower in 377 days. You know, it smelled terrible. But what, what Noah does is so interesting. The very first thing the scripture tells us that Noah does when his storm is over is that he builds an altar. He builds an altar and decides that he is going to worship God and thank God for delivering his family through the storm. 
And I don't think the scripture gives us any indication that this was a spontaneous decision. I think Noah had been plotting this for a long time. One of the truths that I've discovered over the last few weeks as I've been studying Noah's story is that at the beginning of the story, we see that that it wasn't just that God gave him every animal two by two, like we often think about in these kind of art representations of animals coming out. No, what happens in the story, the very beginning in Genesis 6 and 7, is that God sends Noah some animals in, in sevens. In a larger number, and I think what Noah began to do while he was in the ark is he began to think about what he wanted to do when he got out, and he decided before he got out that he wanted to thank God, that he wanted to praise God, that he knew that if it hadn't been for God's faithfulness, he and his family would not have survived. And so even while he's in the ark, I think Noah is plotting and preparing and planning for this worship moment to build this altar and knowing, hey, God gave me some extras of some of these animals and I'm going to use that to thank him and praise him and show gratitude to him and worship him. And all throughout this series, what we have been seeing is that God is at work in Noah's heart. God is at work in our hearts when we're in the middle of the storm. And we, when we come out of the storm, are different people because of what God was doing during the storm. So often what you see in life, when you watch two people go through a similar circumstance, is on the other side, they are very different people even if they've gone through very similar or the exact same thing. Why is that? It wasn't that the storm was the same, it's that their response was different. And when we allow God to use storms in our lives to transform us on the other side, it's evident of what happened during the storm. I love how Nikki Gumbel says it. He says, who you are becoming while you are waiting is as important as what you're waiting for. Who you are becoming while you're waiting is as important as what you're waiting for. And so if you're so excited today, you're like, get me out of here. Get me out of this storm. Get me out of this adversity. What you may be missing is the opportunity for God to transform who you are. And God may be more concerned with who you are becoming than what it is that you're going through or what it is that you're waiting for. And what we see in Noah is that he was grateful in the storm. And that gave him an opportunity to be grateful in his success when he walked out of the storm and came back on dry ground. It is incredibly difficult for us to be grateful when God blesses us with success if we are not grateful in the midst of the adversity in the storm. Because if we can't be grateful to God and praise him and trust him and worship him in the adversity, then when the prosperity comes, we're tempted to take credit for ourselves. And what God does in our life so often is he takes us through circumstances to prepare us and, and get us ready for a moment of success or prosperity. If you've been with Cornerstone for any period of time, you know that God has been doing some preparation work in our church. 
Last December, we did a series called The Waiting Room where we talked about waiting. And a lot of us now have lived through a waiting room experience in our homes during COVID-19. We talked in February about how God uses wilderness experiences in the life of Moses and Elijah and Hagar. Often those seasons where we feel in a difficult or adverse time where we feel like something's happened to us that we didn't choose, God forms us. And then through Noah's story, we've seen that, that just because we're going through a storm doesn't mean that we have to be overwhelmed. We can often thrive and flourish and grow in our relationship with God and be transformed through it. You say, Scott, why have you been talking about all this hard stuff so often? Because we are living in a world and a moment right now where some of the most popular Christian teaching teaches us that when God comes into your life and you begin a relationship with him, you get nothing but prosperity. You get nothing but financial blessings. You get nothing but health blessings. You get nothing but work blessings and career blessings. This, this gospel is known as the prosperity gospel, and it's incredibly popular. And there's no, there's no wonder why we believe it. We want to believe that God is going to give us a, an easy, comfortable, wealthy, blessed life. But the truth that the Bible offers us is that the Bible offers us an adversity gospel, not a prosperity gospel. If the Bible offers us any kind of gospel, it's a gospel that speaks to adversity, not prosperity. Let me be really clear here. I'm not saying that God is always just going to bring hard things in your life, but the Bible so often speaks to us about how to walk through adversity much more than it promises us a continual prosperity. And so many of us have heard this teaching that God is going to bless us all with prosperity. And the scriptures do say that God wants to, to bring us into a life that is abundant, that he wants to give good gifts to his children, but that will not always happen. Because if it did, there would be no poor people in the kingdom of God. None of you would ever lose your job. Once you became a follower of Jesus, none of you would ever struggle with financial difficulties when you follow Jesus. And if that was the case, the gospel would only work for those who are wealthy. And that's just not the case. What God does is he sustains us in adversity. And yes, there may be prosperity that comes in our life, but what God does is he sustains us in adversity so that when we have walked through adversity, we have the character to be able to enjoy prosperity without it ruining our relationship with God. And for some of us, we need to allow God to do this work in us in adversity so that prosperity doesn't destroy our faith so that we can actually worship and praise and give thanks to God for prosperity because of what he did in our hearts during adversity. That's the story of Noah. Noah praises God when he walks out of the ark because he's been praising God all along. Let's continue Noah's story. Genesis 8, 17 says, Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Then jump into Genesis chapter 9. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens and upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Now verse seven, and you, Noah, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. 
The second lesson from Noah's story is that every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. If you're a fan at all of 90s soft pop music, then you know that song that this line comes from. I'll let that be a little bit of an Easter egg in this message today. But I think that we often forget that when we step into something that is a new beginning, that often comes on the heels of some other beginning ending. And what happens in this story is that God speaks to Noah and he says, be fruitful and multiply. He speaks to the animals and says, be fruitful and multiply. And this is not a new command. These are the exact same words that God spoke just eight chapters earlier to Adam and Eve, who he said, be fruitful and multiply. And what God is doing right here is he is in essence hitting the reset button and starting over. He's saying, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, you animals that have survived the flood. I want you, Noah, and your wife, and your sons, and their wives, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God is repeating with Noah what he said to Adam. It's like that time with Adam has ended, and the new beginning with Noah is started, but it's the same command. It is the same blessing. And I have to believe that in this moment, there were some mixed emotions. There was some excitement for Noah and his family to be out of the ark. But there was some sadness, recognizing they were the only humans alive on the earth. There had to be some excitement to finally be out of the ark and be free. But to recognize that they were the ones that God was choosing to start all over with excitement, maybe some sense of dread or pressure, hope, maybe some despair or pain. And if you're graduating this season, then you know exactly what mixed emotions are like. Some of you are so excited for the future that God has in front of you and the opportunities you're stepping into. And yet there is also a little part of you that is sad and grieving what you're leaving behind. Maybe you're filled with hope and possibility and excitement for the future and a little bit of fear and dread and sadness about those goodbyes that you're going to make and what you're no longer going to be a part of. And when you think about Noah and the mixed emotions he must have had between the ending and the beginning, you have to recognize how long he's been in the ark. We've been putting these dates together all throughout this series. And we said that the story starts with Noah and his family spending seven days in the ark before the rain. Then they spent 40 days in the ark while it was raining. Many of you before this series, the only number you had attached to Noah was the 40 days. But this series has kind of blown your mind out to consider the entire timeline. There was 110 days after the rain fell where the water surged and rose and the ark was free floating. Then there was 74 days after the ark had come to a stop on top of a mountain before they saw any dry ground. Then there were 40 more days after the mountaintops were seen until they came to the point where Noah begins to send out birds to search. That was last week's message. And for 14 days, he sends birds out to search for land, ravens, and doves. Then there were 36 days while they were kind of seeing dry ground, 
And then there were 56 days after they had seen dry ground waiting for God to speak to allow them to leave the ark. And I kind of dropped the number earlier by accident if you caught it. But Noah spent a total of 377 days in the ark. 377 days. Puts a whole new perspective on a stay-at-home order during COVID-19. Totally different perspective. And yet, what if Noah had mixed emotions too? I can tell you that my wife and I are going to be excited for the time where we are both not trying to work at home in full-time jobs that have a lot of pressures and expectations while also homeschooling our three kids. I'm really excited for that to end. I'm really excited for some realities we've been in for the last two months during COVID-19 to end. But I'll be honest with you. There are some things I'm sad about. There are some things I'm sad to leave behind. As working parents, this is the longest time we've ever spent with our kids. And I'm a little bit sad to see it come to an end. There are some things that have happened in our relationship that have been incredibly good. There are some things that have happened in me in this time that is incredibly good. There are some relationships that have started over the phone and Zoom during this time for me that are so good. And there's a part of me that's beginning to grieve and go, will those stay the same? Or will I be leaving those behind? And if you're coming to the end of a storm, uh, A beginning is ending and a new beginning is starting. Here's what I want to encourage you based upon the work of our friend Robin Kaufman, who is the expert on Noah's story. I want to encourage you to to leave leave time for yourself to grieve. Even as Noah was leaving the ark, I have to believe he was a little bit nostalgic as he looked back on the ark and he grieved that that time was over. And we live in a culture that despite COVID-19 still resists grief. We don't know how to grieve. We don't like to grieve. And the process takes far longer than we realize. But leave leave time for yourself to grieve. Leave time for yourself to recover. You are not like your phone. You plug your phone in and an hour later it's charged. Friends, you cannot recover as fast as your phone. It's going to take longer for you. It's important that you redefine yourself. Maybe you've been going through a storm for some time and now you're recognizing I'm not the same person I was when this started. Well, allow yourself to redefine who you are now and embrace limits. You may not be capable of everything you were after that storm that you were before. In this new beginning, you may have different limits than you did before. And many of us, we hate the word no. We hate the idea of boundaries. We hate the idea of limits. But sometimes when a beginning ends and a new beginning starts, it means we have new limits. And healthy living, the life God offers us, means that we embrace our limits. That's what I'm trying to do right now. I can't be all things to all people. I'm going to disappoint some people. I'm not going to be able to be everywhere and do everything that I want to do. And because of that, I have to trust God for what I'm not. And for him to be for people what I can't be. Embrace limits. 
Let's go back to Noah's story in Genesis chapter 9. It says, Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, Noah, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth that when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. I will see it, the rainbow, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. The third lesson from Noah's return to dry ground is that our hope is in God's character, not our consistency. If we have an unsinkable hope in the midst of adversity, that hope is not based upon our ability or our competency to be consistent. It's based upon God's character. Now, the rainbow is one of the iconic things that we attach to Noah's story. Many of us who have kids have taught the story of Noah to our kids through seeing rainbows out and about in our lives. But what's so interesting is that many of us use the rainbow in a way that is inconsistent with the story of Genesis 9. We use the rainbow as a reminder to us of what God is going to not do in the future because of his promise. But if you read the text, God didn't create the rainbow for us. If your Bible is still open, it doesn't say that God said, I'm creating this rainbow for you so that when you see this, you will think this. He says, no, I am creating the rainbow so that when I see it in the clouds, I will remember what I promised to you and I will hold fast to that covenant. Friends, the covenant that God made with Noah that we are still living under today is about God's faithfulness, not ours. God's going to be faithful even when we are not. Because in the rest of the Bible, and the Bible is just getting started in Genesis 9, are the people after Noah perfect? No. Do the people after Noah live holy, righteous, pure lives? No. So, so why does God not destroy the earth with a flood again? Because he's faithful, not because we are. And so our hope is in his character, not our consistency. And what I can tell you is the storms that I have been through have humbled me more than anything else. If you go through a storm and you're not humble on the other side, you're doing it wrong. If you've gone through the storm that is COVID-19 and, 
And now as we're kind of moving back into some types of regular life and you're as arrogant as you were before, you're doing it wrong. Because what storms do is they show us that we are broken, imperfect, not in control, not secure in ourselves, and we are far more vulnerable and dependent on God than we realize. And I think one of the things that God uses storms to do in our lives, the reason why he allows them to come and his purposes in them are to humble us and remind us of how he wants us to live in relationship to him. In 2 Corinthians 4, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He said, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We don't preach our character as the source of our hope. We preach about Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. We now have this light shining in our hearts. We do have the light of God shining in us, but listen to this. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. That's the unsinkable hope in the midst of your storm. Not yourself, not your consistency, not your character, but God's. And you and I, friends, we are fragile jars of clay that God has chosen to use to display his light to the world, even amidst the darkest storms. Things may get hard. We may struggle. We will certainly stumble and fall. But our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in him, that he will sustain us even in the adversity that comes. Our hope is in God's character, not our consistency. Now, this is the final part of Noah's story here. Genesis 9, verse 20. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he told his brothers outside. And Shem and Japheth, his brothers, took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. Fourth and final lesson from Noah's return to dry land. We've all got some Noah in us. You've got some Noah in you. I've got some Noah in me. My wife and I are huge movie buffs, and one of our favorite movie series is the Marvel series. I'm not sure how many movies are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I know that we've seen them all. And one of the things that we love doing is going to the movie theater right when a Marvel movie comes out and watching it. And one thing we do before we go to the movie theater is we Google the name of the movie and three words, post-credit scenes. Because in almost every Marvel movie, at the end as the credits are rolling, either in the middle of the credits or the end of the credits, there's a short scene, 30 seconds or a minute, that helps you understand something in the story better or Consider what's coming next in the saga. And I believe that this story about Noah in Genesis 9, 20 to 23 is his post-credit scene. And if that's the case, you might say, Scott, what do we learn from it? Here's what we learn. Everyone's broken. Everyone's vulnerable. 
everyone's sinful. Everyone can fall. All of us, including Noah. There's a temptation when we read the Bible to put these people in the Bible, Abraham, Noah, Moses, David, Elijah, Peter, John, Paul, Esther, Ruth, to put them on a pedestal and to look for them to be more than they can be. And in this story, the final thing we see is that Noah plants a vineyard, gets passed out drunk, and falls asleep naked in his tent. That's the final scene of Noah's life. It's not a great scene. And his kids don't handle it very well. So poorly, in fact, that the one who tells his brothers and makes fun of him, Noah curses that son's son. For it will come in the future. If you want to learn more about this story, we covered in our Flawed Family series last fall. But I want to encourage you to learn from Noah about the importance of finishing well. Noah is listed in Hebrews 11 along with many other people in the Bible who are called the Hall of Fame of Faith. But even in the Hall of Fame of Faith, where Noah is an example of faith and righteousness, what you see is that he doesn't finish well. He stumbles in the end. And it's this incredible reminder to all of us that you can go through a storm, you can do so well in your storm, and then when it's done, you can stumble. You can do so well in your storm, trusting God, following God. And yet afterwards, you're capable of the exact same thing that Noah was. It's by the reminder for me at this moment that I want to share with you after teaching you from Noah's life for the last five weeks is this. Noah isn't the hero in the story. God is. We should learn from Noah. We should take principles from Noah. We should see his experience as an opportunity to speak into our own. But Noah is not the hero that you emulate. God is. Noah didn't come, live a sinful, perfect life, go through everything he went through, die on the cross for your sins and mine, and come back from the dead. Noah didn't do that. Jesus did. Noah isn't our savior. Jesus is. And in this story, Noah isn't the hero. God is the hero because God is the one who provides, protects, and preserves Noah and his family. And so if there's a hero to talk about in this series that's unsinkable, the hero is God. And our hope is in him. As we close today, there's some next steps I want to draw your attention to if you're following along in the handout. The first one is this, is I want to encourage you to identify three things you've learned about God during your storm. Three things that you've learned about God during your current storm. Don't lose the opportunity to capitalize and capture what you've learned about God. I'll tell you one of the things I've learned about God during my storm is that God is with me in the storm. It's often hard to see in the moment. But as I look back over the storms that I've been in this year, and there are more than a few, what I've seen is in occasion after occasion, God was with me, even if I couldn't feel it in the moment. That's what I've learned, that God is with me and I'm never alone. Number two, identify three things you've learned about yourself during the storm. This is a great opportunity for you to grow in your self-awareness and self-understanding. Maybe you'd ask people around you, hey, what have you learned about me 
What should I have learned about myself through this? And hear me, here's one thing I've learned about myself through this. That I'm not as kind to myself as God is. I'm not as kind to myself as God is. And I've recognized during this time that if I don't think I'm as deserving of God's kindness as God would give to me, then I'm putting myself in a position above God. If I'm not as kind to myself as God is, I'm saying I know more than God. And God's gone to work on that part of me that needs change. The third thing I will tell you in terms of a next step is to be kind, humble, and vigilant as your storm ends. Kind, humble, and vigilant. You say, why kind? Because you've just been through a storm. And it's not your repentance that makes God's kindness come to you. Romans says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God is more kind to you than you are to yourself. Be kind. And be kind to others. Because the world will never be won by our harsh judgments and mean tweets. They will be won because we are kind and loving towards them in ways they don't deserve. Be humble. Why, why be humble, Scott? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 10, if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Be humble because you've got some Noah in you. I've got some Noah in me. And though we may have done this better than we expected, or maybe we're doing this moment we're in now better than we expected, we can all fall and be vigilant. Our enemy, the devil, roars around, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Be vigilant. Fourth and finally, we want to encourage you to send us your questions. If this series or even today has raised questions for you, we're going to be hosting a Q&A this week with our friend Robin Kaufman on Facebook on Wednesday at noon. She's going to be joining us to just take your questions. We did one of these last month and it had huge, huge response. Our most popular Facebook Live ever. So if you've got a question, you can put it in the form underneath the live page. You can share it in the chat on Facebook or YouTube right now. We'll capture it and share with Robin, and then we'll send out a link to that Facebook Live if you're not on Facebook in our weekly newsletter on Friday. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for how you're working in our hearts and in our lives. And I thank you for allowing this storm, if for nothing else, to reveal our desperate need for you. If you are the waymaker that we've been singing about this morning, then that means that we're not. And it means that we need you in real and tangible ways. I thank you for those that you sustained through the storm and that you're revealing new truths about themselves and you. But right now, I want to pray specifically for the person that you have here that has gone through a storm and it's revealed their desperate need for you. And I want to invite them right now to turn this storm into a moment where they receive your salvation, where they open themselves up to you for you to be their unsinkable hope. If that's you, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. Heavenly Father, I need you. I feel like I'm sinking. I'm sinful. I'm broken. I'm needy. I'm like that fragile jar of clay. I can't do this on my own. I put my faith and my trust and my hope in you today, Jesus. Forgive my sins. Make me new. Walk with me in all the places that I need you. I can't do this without you, Jesus. I trust my life to you. I need you today. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer or made a decision today, we want to encourage you to text right now. Text the word Jesus to 928-288-5490. If you made a decision today, our staff would love to come alongside you, to pray with you, to support you, help you take next steps in this new faith journey. Text the word Jesus this morning to 928-288-5490. Jamie, the band's going to lead us as we close today.